You're listening to Pastor Jesse Miller of City Lights Church. If you're visiting with us, we've been walking through the book of Mark, and uh, in looking through Mark, we come upon a, a passage that um, could be a hard thing to look at. So that's where we're at this morning. But I want to start off. Do you ever, um, do you ever go on a trip or plan plan a day? You, do you ever plan a day that in your mind is just going to be perfect, like the best day ever? And then that day comes, and you begin, you wake up with joy in the morning. You're ready to start your awesome, epic day. And it doesn't quite turn out the way it was supposed to be. Um, I remember when I was a teenager, um, young teen, my parents, my parents were never really good at planning vacations. Um, it was more like, hey, we didn't reserve a hotel um, hours away from here. We're just going to get in the car and go. We're just going to find something. So we end up stopping at like every, every yard sale on the way from here to Ohio, and that's a vacation or something like that. But I remember one year, um, we were planning on going to Virginia Beach, you know, and as a, to a kid in Pennsylvania, it was like, Virginia Beach is pretty epic. I'm ready to see a beach. And we wake up, we're packed, we get in the car, and my parents were like, wait, maybe we should check the weather for Virginia Beach. Turns out, that's the day a hurricane was about to land. Um, so we're sitting literally packed in my car, my parents' car, um, and we're thinking, what do we do? We're supposed to be going to Virginia Beach for the week, and there's a hurricane there. So we come up with plan B. To instead go to the beach, we're going to go to Ohio to a park, Cedar Point Park, which I'm all for amusement parks, and then we're going to go drive around Ohio and find other things to do, such as the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, the Football Hall of Fame. Those are all nice things, but they're not plan A. Plan A was to wake up every morning on the beach. Plan B was driving around Ohio for a week. Um, which I'm not trying to knock on Ohio. I'm just saying, in my mind, it wasn't the way it was supposed to be. Um, you guys know what I'm talking about, where things just don't go the way they planned. I feel like every day we, we wake up with pretty high hopes for the day, and then by the end of it, you're like, what just happened? That was not the way this was supposed to go. Um, when we look at the book of Mark, we see on a much larger scale, that things aren't the way they're supposed to be. Um, things don't always go the way it should be going, the original intent for it. And let's, let's look at this. Mark chapter 10, starting in verse 1. And he left there and went to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan, and the crowds gathered to him again. And again, as was his custom, he taught them. Let me start by saying this. I love that it says, as was his custom, he taught them. It's like, and as usual, this is what Jesus does when he sees a crowd, he teaches. So this morning, if we can do something in our hearts, if we can prepare ourselves to be taught by Scripture, um, this is a tough passage for a lot of people. And I know it's thick, and it affects all of us. So let's, if we can prepare our hearts to be taught, that's what Jesus does, and that's what Scripture is for. So can we, can we all get in that zone together? Let's just be taught. Let's just be open to what he's saying this morning. So verse 2, And the Pharisees came up, and in order to test him, he, they asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? And he answered them, What did Moses command you? And they said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. And Jesus said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this command. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. And in the house, the disciples asked him again about this matter. 
And he said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. This morning, as we walk through the book of Mark, last week Jared had the tuffle, tuffle, tackle the tough um, topic. There we go. That's a lot of words. Tackle the tough topic. Tuffle. There we are. He had to tackle hell. What does hell look like? And, And what do we do in response to hell? And this morning... We're talking about divorce. Jesus taught them about divorce. I want to point out a few things to you first. The scribes and the Pharisees weren't curious because they wanted to be taught. They're part of this group that wants to trick Jesus into negating something. They wanted him to go against the law. And so Jesus says, what does the law say? What did Moses tell you? And they say, it's lawful for a man to give his wife a a certificate of divorce. And Jesus' response is this. Because of the hardness of your heart... He wrote this commandment. Moses gave you this commandment because of your hearts. From the beginning, God made them male and female. And therefore, it says about them coming together. From the beginning of creation. See, what I want to say this morning is that divorce and laws about divorce, laws in our lives, the the, the Ten Commandments, the laws that Moses gave, these are all in response to something. These are all in response to things not being the way they were created to be. See, from the beginning, God created a man and a woman to be together and to serve one another, to love one another. But because of sin, because of brokenness in the world, Moses had to respond, and God gave them laws to guide this thing, to guide the way life should look like. It's, I'm not saying God didn't know this, so God's like, oh, here's plan B. But in a sense, it is a plan B in response to brokenness on the, in the earth. Does that make sense? There's a response. So Jesus' response to them, trying to trick him about, should we get rid of the law? What are you trying to tell us to do? His response is, the law's there because you guys are broken people. Because you are broken and there's sin. He, he's given you this. But from the beginning of time, this should not even have been a question. This should not even have been a thought. Because if, if, there was, if all things were made right, this wouldn't even be in your thoughts right now. I right, know this might sound strange, but let me, let me continue on here. Um, there's a great book, and I'm going to read you a quote from it, and it's actually called Not the Way, Not the Way Things Are Supposed to Be um, by a theologian and a, a president of a um, well-known college. He says this, and I want, I want you to look at this. He's talking about sin and what sin has done in the earth. Um, he says that because of, of sin, Christians are supposed to include peace that adorns and completes justice, mutual respect, and deliberate and widespread attention to the public good. He says that earth, the way things were created to be, we should have a complete peace and justice and mutual respect on the earth. And then he says this, of course things are not that way of all. Human wrongdoing or the threat of it mars every adult's work day, every child's school day, every vacationer's holiday. A moment moment of reflection yields a a whole catalog of wrongdoing, and some of it's so, so familiar that we don't even think of it as wrong. What he's saying is sin was supposed, not supposed to be here. But because of it, every day of our lives, some aspect of wrongdoing creeps into our lives. Whether it's that coworker who just hates everybody and doesn't, and just wants you to fail in life. You guys know what I'm talking about? That coworker who's just, he hates the world and you just because he hates the world. That's not supposed to be there. Your day's not supposed to navigate around that person. That person in your life who hurt you, the car accidents, the death, the sickness, all these things are not supposed to exist. 
But they do because of sin, because of brokenness of humans. So we navigate around them without even recognizing that they're not supposed to be there. So when it comes to divorce and marriage and how does it look like, we have these laws that should have never even been there from the beginning, but God gave us a way to navigate around them. Does that make sense? We have to walk through there. It's not the way it's supposed to be, though. He later talks about how when God created the earth, have you, have you heard Jewish um, custom has this word and, and uh, the Old Testament has this word shalom. And I feel like we t- often translate it to just peace. Um, but I want to read a little, a real quick little blurb about this. When webbing together of God, humans and all creation in justice, fulfillment, and delight is what the Hebrew prophets called shalom. So when God, human, everything that's created comes together the right way, that's what the Hebrew prophets would have called shalom. We, we call it peace, but it means far more than just mere peace of mind or a ceasefire between enemies. In the Bible, shalom means universal flourishing, wholeness, and delight. See, when God created man and woman and wanted them to be together, there's this idea of flourishing, of delight, of, of justice, of right in that relationship. Does that make sense? That it was supposed to be good. It was supposed to be perfect. It was supposed to have shalom and represent shalom in creation. This rightness. Not just we stop fighting, we put our guns away, or we're no longer arguing. But a sense that everything is right with the creator, right with man. There's this idea, there's this teaching that that is what God has called the earth to look like. But we don't live in this world of shalom. We don't live in that because we live in a world of brokenness. Of, of selfishness, of, of desires, of sin. Of, we live in that world. So in response to that, there are laws that have been made so that we can navigate through this world that doesn't exist in shalom. All the while we strive for shalom. I hope this is making sense. I know this is a heavy topic, and I see some eyes like, I don't already, I really want to just go to lunch right now. I'm ready to leave. I see that happening. Um, I'm sorry, but that's where we're at today. Jesus says this, in verse, seven, or verse 8, and the two shall become one flesh, so there are no longer two but one. See, from the moment of marriage, a husband and wife are supposed to be unified in a way that is different from all other human relationships. I would never look at my friend Ben and say, we're one flesh. <laughs> ben and I are, are one, one flesh. Um, just till death do us part, Ben. But I look at my wife and I say, my relationship with my wife, Ashley, not Ben, Ashley, is different than any other relationship that I have on earth. It's completely different because we're united and scripture calls us one flesh. We've been bound together by this thing of marriage. And so now our relationship looks different than any other relationships in, 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 all, of, in all of humanity. A marriage is supposed to look different. Being one flesh not just includes sexual union of a husband and a wife, but it also means our primary human loyalty is to that one other individual. That loyalty above anybody else, my responsibility above any other relationship is to be loyal to her. That I watch for her best interest, for her best days. I try to make that. If people attack her, my number one loyalty in all of the earth, in all of every relationship, is to her. She's my number one goal in my mind. Does that make sense? 
So that union, the two become one. I look for her, I, I look out for her like I would look out for my own best interest, my own best health. I look out for her. Um, I feel like we're all kind of guilty of this a lot, that, um, you know, you ever hear the, all the old ball and chain, or like, you know, sometimes guys are like that publicly, like, where we kind of knock on our wife, you know, I got to do this. She wants me to go to the grocery store, you know. It's just hard living with her. She feeds me food, you know. It's, it's awful. But I think, I think like these little things that kind of creep into our vocabulary where we're like, you know, we play off like, oh, man, I have to go home to my wife. She wants me to stay home tonight and not hang out with the guys. Like, I feel like, I don't know what you women do, if you guys do anything like that or not, or you women do anything like that or not. But my number one responsibility amongst my friends, amongst my family, with my kids, is to defend and lift her up, to exalt her. My one responsibility in our marriage is to make her esteem, to make her well. Does that make sense? And not to belittle her, but my, I should always have her best interest at heart. And I feel like sometimes it's not always in our vocabulary. It's not always in our language. And I want to challenge myself and I want to challenge the men in this room that our best interest should always be her best interest. The thing that lifts her up, because her and I are one flesh. We've been brought together. We're in union together. So scripture says that we are one flesh, and it says what God has joined together, let no man separate. I feel like often, especially in our culture, with all the the talk about marriages and what they should look like and what they shouldn't look like and, and divorce rates and everything, I feel like a lot in our culture especially, we view marriage as a man-made agreement. Well, this is something that I decided to do, so I can decide to change this. Or this is something that my spouse and I decided. I love that Jesus says what God has joined together. Let no man separate. In the Christian view of marriage, in the biblical view of marriage, it's not just a union between me and my wife. It's a union between my wife and I that God has established that God is in. And he says, if I, if I made this plan, if I allowed this plan, if I put my blessing on this, then nobody should break this. You shouldn't break this. So Jesus says, from the beginning, the idea, the discussion of divorce should have not even been in your mind because there would have been no selfishness. There would have been no abuse. There would have no, been no infidelity. None of these things would have existed. But because of sin and brokenness, We've looked and said, okay, these are the ways that we can get around it. These are the ways that we can create a better system, a better way of living in response to brokenness. I hope this makes sense. I hope, I hope you're, you're tracking where I'm, I'm getting here. I want to look here in Ephesians 5, classic um, marriage material right here. Number, this is marriage 101, so we're going to go right into marriage 101. Ephesians 5, 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and, his, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to the Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water and with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. And in the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. 
He who loves his wife loves himself. There's that idea of oneness. That I love my wife the way that I would love myself. Keep going here. Verse 29. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are the members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Verse 32. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let his wife see that she respects her husband. See, the first thing that we see in this passage about what a marriage should look like is the wife's submission to her husband as to the Lord. And this passage isn't just about a man and a wife. It's about us as the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, in response to him. It says, so a wife should submit to the husband as she submits to the Lord, or as a church submits to the Lord. We sing songs this morning, you are my king, I give my heart to you. When, when he's our Lord and king, it's your desires are my desires. What you want from me is what I want. And at first glance, this can look really sexist or really awful. Wait, you're saying a wife needs to submit to her husband like he's king, like he's some ruler? What if he goes tells me to wash my feet every day? You know, that would be nice, Ash. Um, just kidding. <laughs> kidding. What, what if he tells me to do this? What if he tells, so I just have no say in anything. Is that what you're saying? That's not what we see here. I love this. It's, what does it say about the husbands? Husbands, give yourselves up for your wife like Christ gave himself up for the church. This is beautiful imagery of what we should look like as a church and as a couple. That my desire is to completely abandon myself for her. At her desire, she sees that I'm giving everything, but she submits to me, which is, in a sense, submitting to me for her own benefit. Do you see the way that works? It's not just, I'm dictator Jesse Miller of my house. That's not the way it works in our house. But my every interest should be for her benefit the way Christ gave his life for our benefit, on our behalf. He poured himself out for us in the same way a husband does that to his wife pours himself out for her, and her response is to serve me. It's a cycle that we, we come together, like I said at the very beginning, our number, one, a, a, our number one focus is for the betterment of each other. It, it's beautiful. This is shalom. This is the kingdom of God on earth. This is the way things are supposed to be. The way things are supposed to be is that my thoughts are for her, and her thoughts are for me. And we're at one. That's the way things are supposed to be. Christ loves the church, and I'm supposed to try to example that same love that he had for the church in my relationship with my wife. I want, I want to make something clear. Marriage is not just about so we have a good friend to live life with. Marriage is not just that. You know, from the beginning, it's not good for man to be alone, and he created wife, and we became, there's a union, there's a oneness but marriage is also a representation of who God is and his love for humans, his love for mankind. A marriage is supposed to represent shalom, the future kingdom, and what God wants to do here on the earth now. That's what marriage is supposed to do. It's supposed to represent his love for, for us. Let's look at verse 32 one more time. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects the husband. 
He's saying the mystery about marriage is that it's supposed to look like Christ loving the church. It's supposed to look like the way God loved us, and that's what our marriage is supposed to reflect. Marriage is supposed to show that union that Christ has with the church and that complete sacrifice, that complete love. That's what it's supposed to reflect. But it doesn't always do that. It doesn't always go that way. It's supposed to look like what we see Jesus say, I will never leave you nor forsake you. This idea of complete submission and oneness together. As we are the bride of Christ, he pours himself out for us. See, I want to make a few other um, points about marriage. First off, let me say this. God is not just a God of, God's not the God of agreements. God doesn't make agreements. God is a God of a covenant. Um, and I know we've talked about covenant a few times, but let me, let me look at what a covenant looks like. You see, God made a covenant with Adam. God made a covenant with Abraham. And he said, I will bless, my, bless your seed. I will, I will make this covenant. God made a covenant with David that he will continue the line. God made a covenant through Jesus to the church. God is a God that makes covenants. And what a covenant is, let me, let me look at some, some uh, real points of what a covenant is. When God made a covenant with, with Abraham, it was God's promise saying that this is what I'm going to do. And it wasn't based on Abraham's response. It wasn't based on Abraham being able to fill his end of the promise. Like if Ben and I would make an agreement, Ben, you give me whatever, your guitar, and I will give you $500. That's an agreement. If one of us breaks the agreement, one of us is wrong. Does that make sense? But when God made the covenant, he says, I'm going to bless your people. Because of your faithfulness that you've already done, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make your your descendants great. And he makes this covenant not with Abraham because man has the ability to fail covenants. We have the ability to completely back out of our end of the deal. God makes this agreement with himself. And what would happen in a covenant, not an agreement, he, would make, he made this covenant with himself. Is there were, Literally, they took in, a, in an aisle, they would split animals in half. And God walked, he actually put Abraham asleep and he walked through them, between them, saying, what it said is, if, if I break this covenant, let me be like these animals, where I'm walking through this blood. Let me be ripped in half. Let me be completely destroyed. But God doesn't break his covenants. God was able to go through that by himself because he knew that he can fulfill his own covenant. He doesn't break covenants. So here we have this God who creates the covenant of marriage, this, this illustration of who he is and his promises to us and what shalom should look like, this faithfulness of God. God creates this covenant in Adam, he creates a covenant in Abraham, he creates a covenant in David, he creates a covenant through, in Jesus through the church, and he fulfilled every one of them. And then you and I are given this one covenant that we make, the covenant of marriage. You and I are asked to make a covenant with the spouse, this agreement till death do us part, that we will always look for the best interest in each other, that we're together one flesh. We make this covenant And let me point to some illustrations there. We have an aisle in a church for a reason. There's two families that sit side by side for a reason. It's the illustration of what a covenant looks like. That if we break this covenant, let us be split. Let us be dead. Let us be torn apart like the covenant imagery. I also find it interesting that when God made the covenant here, there's also blood. And I'm not trying to be graphic here. But we see throughout Scripture and throughout the Old Testament, that the act of sex is what 
created that lasting bond, that union between the man and the wife. And we see not only is there symbolism in the way a church ceremony goes, but there's also the shedding of blood at the first time of intercourse there. God is constantly, there's all these other illustrations where I could point to this morning and say where the act of a marriage constantly reflects God's covenants with us, God's goodness to us, God's promise to us. But the problem is because things aren't the way they're supposed to be, we don't often fulfill that covenant where we don't often look for the best interest in the other person or we leave too early or we just abandon things. What I'm trying to say this morning is because of that, Moses created laws to work through that. See, we don't hold our covenant in ourselves. We are broken. We are broken people that struggle with covenants. David said this in Psalms when he wrote his Psalms. He had, he had the affair with Bathsheba. And he cheated, and there was brokenness. But David said this. He said, against you only have I sinned. Against you only, God, have I sinned. Which doesn't seem to make sense at first glance because David didn't just sin against God. He had her husband killed in war. Um, He had the affair. There was all kinds of sins that affected the whole country. It wasn't just affecting David and God. But his first thing that led to all that is sin in itself. His brokenness with the way God wanted earth to look like. God wants shalom on the earth. And so when he had that affair, he there was no more shalom in that situation. There was no more of God's plan in that situation. God went, or David, when he sinned, he rejected God's shalom and the way things are supposed to be and chose his own desire, his own thing. So when David says, against you only have I sinned, he recognized that his sin, his number one sin, was against the way God intended, the, the life that God intended, the covenant that God wanted. He sins against him first. Against you only have I sinned. That was David's first sin. See, I I want you to understand this, and I don't know if my words are saying this the best way. There are times when we see in Scripture that divorce is permitted. It's permitted. There are times, and and there's grace for divorce. There's people in this church, and, and every one of us knows somebody who's walked through divorce. And every one of us have seen the consequences of divorce and the hurt of it. And I think we can all agree that divorce is never the way it's supposed to be. A husband or a, or a wife who cheats on their wife is never the way it's supposed to be. Selfishness that just says, we don't like each other anymore, we like ourselves better, is never the way it's supposed to be. A spouse who is abusive is never the way it's supposed to be. But it's in response to these things that God created laws so that we could continue one and we could reestablish shalom on the earth. Does that make sense? I, I, hope, I hope you're not getting lost in what I'm saying. It's never the way it's supposed to be. But it's never, never the way it was planned. It's because of hardness of hearts that, that resulted into a divorce. That's what Jesus says to them. It's because of the hard hardness of hearts, because of sin in hearts, leads to divorce. It was never the original plan. Let's look at Luke chapter 20 here real quick. There came, verse, verse 27, there came to him some Sadducees who deny that there is a resurrection. So let's get that understanding first. Sadducees are like Pharisees. They're religious leaders, but they don't believe in the resurrection. Okay, so let's, let's listen to them real quick. And they asked him a question saying, Teacher, 
Moses wrote for us that a man's brother, if a man's brother dies, having a wife but no children, man must take a widow and raise up offspring for his brother. Now, there were seven brothers. The first took a wife, and he died without children. And the second and the third took her. And likewise, all seven left no children and died. After woman, afterward, the woman also died. In the resurrection, therefore, whose wife will the woman be? For, he had set, for seven had had her as a wife. So this is first off a ridiculous question, um, in case you don't understand what's happening here. Um, the way it would work in that custom, there, once again, there's a lot of laws, and there's a lot of laws because there should be shalom on the earth. There should be peace on the earth. And it's in response to brokenness that these laws were created. So they say the law says that if a man a bro- has a bunch of brothers and he dies and there's no heir to his wife, she doesn't conceive through him and there's no heir, nobody to take care of her. She needs to be taken care of. The law says that his brother has to take her as a wife so that she's taken care of. Make sense? It's to provide for her. And then let's say he has mother, other brothers and that brother dies and he doesn't give her any heir to take care of her. So the next brother takes her as a wife, doesn't give her an heir, he dies, and she still doesn't have an heir, so who takes care of her? And it goes down this line of seven brothers, which is ridiculous, because maybe it's happened, I'm sure it has, but that's a ridiculous scenario to begin with. But then they throw in this other trap, because they already don't believe in the resurrection, and they say to him, okay, so she's got seven, seven, seven husbands then, before she dies. Which one will she be married to in heaven? So they, they want to they trap him, because here they have this law Right? And they want to see how he responds to this. Let's look at Jesus' response. Verse 34. And he said to them, The sons of this age marry and are given in marriage. But those who are considered worthy to attain to that age and to the resurrection from the dead neither marry nor are given in marriage. For they cannot die anymore. Because they are equal to the angels and are sons of God being sons of the resurrection. But that the dead are raised. Even Moses showed in the passage about how about the bush where he calls the Lord of the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. Now he is not the God of the dead, but of the living, for all live to him. Then some of the scribes answered, Teacher, you have spoken well, for they no longer dared to ask him any questions. I think that's kind of funny, the end there. Like, wow, you got us again. We will no longer ask you any questions. Um, so I, I, lo- I love that. They're, they're just like, yeah, we're done. We're done with this guy. Do you ever, ever wonder if Jesus, like, internally thought, man, why did I even let these guys be created? Like, seriously, this is, this is a horrible question. I, I wonder. I mean, but they ask him this ridiculous question, and his response is, it's not about that. Who will she be married to? Because when we're in heaven, because when they've come to resurrection, it's not about who they're married to. It's about that they're with him. They're with him. They've recognized, it says, that they are the sons of God being sons of the resurrection. You and I on this earth are to manifest what it looks like to live in shalom, to live in right relationship with the Father in our, in our marriages. So my marriage to my wife should demonstrate what re- right relationship with the Father looks like on the earth, what shalom is supposed to look like. And he says, he responds to these guys to their trap question. It's not about your marriage here because when you're there, you get to experience completely right relationship with the Father. My marriage and your marriage is to demonstrate what eternity looks like. I hope you understand this. It's not about the marriage in heaven. It's about we get to be with him in heaven. 
We get to experience shalom. We get to experience justice and love and perfect harmony with the Father and with all creation when we're with Him. That's the way it's supposed to look. It's the way it's supposed to look. You and I will get to experience that. You and I will get to partake in that. See, we won't need to represent it when we're in heaven because we'll already be fully experiencing it. I hope that makes sense. And you're like, wait a minute, do I not know my wife in heaven? That's not what it's saying here, okay? But you, it's not about that. We don't need to portray it through marriage anymore because we'll fully experience it. We'll fully be experiencing shalom. We will live in his covenant with us. And that's what our marriage should look like. It should point to what his covenant looks like. Um, if our worship team can come forward here, I'm going I'm to close here in a few minutes. I recognize that a lot of us have walked through either divorce or brokenness or whatever. We've been through it. Or, we, or we've got family that is or, or is going through it. Very close friends of Ash and I, early on in our marriage, they're actually the couple that pretty much is responsible for getting us together. About two years into our marriage, um, it just went bad, and they're divorced. And it kind of shocked us. It, it hurt us, because this is the couple that we spent most of our date nights hanging out with. The ver- divorce has affected all of us. And I think the thing that we've got to recognize is it's never the way it's supposed to be. It was never intended for that. I could look at one of my friends and say, okay, you're right in this. You're right in signing the divorce paper, and I can support you in that. But it's never the intent. It was never the right way. It's never what God had planned for them. It's never what it's supposed to look like. If you've experienced brokenness in, in, in any way, we need to recognize that God's grace and goodness is beyond your brokenness of yesterday. That's what we at City Lights Church believe. I don't care what you've walked through, if it was your fault, their fault, or everybody's fault. God's grace is good for today. God's grace is good. We recognize that we can look forward to an eternity without brokenness. We can look forward to complete union with Him. There won't be any abuse or infidelity or selfishness in the kingdom. There just won't be. There won't be any of that. So we can look forward to that. That whatever we've been through, whatever we've experienced, we won't have to experience again. And this should be really good news for somebody. We won't have to experience that. If your marriage, if you're in a marriage and you recognize that that you're in covenant, you need to recognize that you're in covenant and God desires for your marriage are better than your own desires for your marriage. I want you to understand that. I feel like sometimes we walk through this, there's, there's peaks and valleys in every marriage, and I'm not arguing that there isn't. But we need to recognize that God's plan for your marriage is better than your expectations for your own marriage. I believe that God's got a better plan for my wife and I's marriage than I can even think of. And I believe that God's got a better plan for your marriage than you can grasp this is good news this morning. It should, it should excite us. Some of you guys aren't married. You're thinking, why am I even here today? Most of us have pursued marriage then for you single people here. 
you're pursuing marriage. We have people who are, who are engaged and about to be married. That's exciting stuff. It's really exciting. But you need to recognize that it's not just so you guys can be together and like some nice Hollywood movie, you know, where you're on your deathbed holding hands when you're like 95 years old, you know. We just both go together. It's wonderful. It's not the point. God creates covenants of marriage so that we can display his shalom on the earth. And you need to recognize as you walk into a marriage that your goal is to display his shalom, display his goodness, to display what it is to be in union and one with the Father, to be the bride of Christ, to be one with him. That's what you're walking into. That's what you should be desiring to walk into. Not just some Hollywood version of a life that looks good with some kids and a nice house. You get to display it. Or you get to choose not to. And there are days where I recognize I don't do a good job at displaying it. I don't. I don't always do that. It's because brokenness exists. Brokenness exists in my own heart. Brokenness exists in our hearts. But it's how do we respond to that brokenness? Do I push through and do I say I'm gonna I'm gonna yield all of my desires for my wife's desires, or do I say, you know, I'd rather be selfish in this. I'd rather do my own thing. I'd rather be angry tonight. I'd rather I'd rather look to somebody else to fulfill my desires. I'd rather I'd rather just leave and get out of it because it's too hard, it's too difficult to fix this. It's, we're too far apart. Do I respond that way or do I say, no, I'm committing to the covenant that I've made and I will display shalom on the earth. I will fix this. I will display God's love toward his bride, whether the bride responds or not. I love that God does that with us. He displays his love to us, whether we respond to it or not. That's good. Sometimes you and I are really bad brides. Can we, I, I would look ugly in a dress at least. I'm a bad bride sometimes. I don't respond the way I should to his love. I don't respond to his outstretched hand the way that I should. I hope you get this. I hope you see this. And sometimes I don't respond the way to her that I should. But I'm committed to saying, God, I want your shalom in my marriage, and I will make this thing last till death do us part. We are one, and what God has joined together, let nobody separate. I hope you can agree with me this morning. I hope your marriage is encouraged if you're married. If you're married, and if you're not married, I hope you recognize what it's supposed to look like. I feel like we live in a world that that wants all the rewards of marriage without any of the covenant or any of the responsibility or without any of the cost. We live in this world that wants the union, we want the intimacy, we want the friendship, but we don't want to pay the cost. We don't want to give of ourselves as Christ laid himself, gave himself up for the church. We don't want to do that often. And I want to encourage you, if that's what your thought is, well, if I marry her, I'll just be happy forever. No, you won't always be happy, but it'll be good and it'll be right. You'll see shalom. Shalom is not always easy. I love that Christ was on the cross and he... He said, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. It wasn't like he's skipping to the cross, just excited to lay himself up for us. And there are times in our relationship where I have to lay myself down, my will down, and she lays her will down to me for the betterment of each other. It's not always easy. It's not always the best thing. Or it is the best thing, but it's not always the easiest thing to do. I hope you're getting this this morning.